What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG and MHS Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Okay, another victory podcast. The Nuggets beat the Minnesota Timberwolves 120-111 to go up 3-0 in their first round series. A couple narratives to talk about in this game. I'm going to talk about the game itself in the first half. Second half, we will be talking about what I think has been a a national media sphere that has kind of struggled to talk about and move off of some narratives that they uh, assembled about the Nuggets uh, in the last 20 games or so uh, of the regular season. But uh, first... Oh my, um, you know, you're going to get a team's best punch in if, if they're the team that is a lower seed, uh, so they get the next two games at their own home court. You're going to get their best punch in, if they lose the first game, you're going to get it in game two, and you're going to get it in game three. And if you people uh, uh, like think back to last year with the Denver Nuggets um, against the Golden State Warriors, you know, the Nuggets were basically carried to that point by Nikola Jokic. And um, you had Will Barton playing big minutes. You had Facundo Campazzo still on the on the team. You know, I thought I thought Faku got a lot of needless crap from a lot of people. I mean, he was good for who he was. Um, and uh, Austin Rivers. <laughs> and uh, you had Marcus Howard playing minutes, okay? And it was Nikola Jokic with them and, and Aaron Gordon. So basically it was uh, one superstar, one kind of star, and a bunch of uh, role players. And um, what you saw was the Nuggets were overmatched. In Game 3, the Nuggets threw a big punch. And in Game 4, they ended up winning. So it ended up being a gentleman's sweep. Generally, but in game two, the Nuggets started figuring out the Warriors. But this that's the nature of this of series. Uh, and then in game three, the Nuggets played really well and barely lost the game. Um, and then game four was the Bones game. Now, what I want to say, what drawing this con- drawing this kind of analogy is that the Denver Nuggets um, understand how this feels being undermanned, lower seed. I believe the Nuggets were the sixth seed last year, and they were being carried there by Jokic. It just they didn't have enough. And this series is shaping up very similarly. Um, it is very clear that the the Warriors. I mean, due respect to the Warriors, who actually really played a very good last twenty games of the season, um, uh, coming back into to the playoffs, and then you know had some issues with the play in and stuff like that. But they they were able to really rally and get into a a good position um, and end up at the as the eighth seed when they probably outplayed they outplayed the Lakers in that uh, game seven and still lost in one of the stupidest games I've ever seen in my life uh, and I will be mentioning the word stupid here again later in reference to the Timberwolves but with due respect to them uh, it's clear that they just don't have the talent and they really miss Jaden McDaniels who probably would um, be uh, doing his best to neutralize Michael Porter Jr. which has been a problem for the Timberwolves <coughs> The Timberwolves have been, um, basically what you have seen is the Nuggets have answers for everything. And 
you saw this in this game. Once the Nuggets in the first quarter started getting ahead, they never lost the lead. And that is indicative of a team that knows it's better. And I said this in the last podcast. The Nuggets are very cognizant that they are better than the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, um, you know, I'll address this in the second half. There were some narratives going into this series that were based on erroneous thinking by specifically some national people. And, you know, I always tell people not to pay attention to national people, but I want to kind of set the reset the narrative and kind of give people an idea of uh, how this is uh, going to be a little different. So um, this game was interesting in a sense that um, you could tell the Wolves were motivated and uh, several times they got up by seven points in the first quarter. Uh, This was uh, unfolding like it was usually does um, in game threes on a home court. You saw this with uh, Philadelphia um, the the day before. Um, when Brooklyn threw the kitchen sink at Philadelphia and they just didn't have enough, even with Harden getting ejected. Well, this is kind of similar. You could tell that the Wolves were doing absolutely everything. And and Carl Towns, to his credit, actually had a better game than, uh, than he did the previous two. And this was down to him being more aggressive and driving more. And the free throw disparity was ridiculous. There's no no reason that Nikola Jokic should have not gone to the free throw line once. This is, that's insane. That's complete insanity. That there's just, I, you don't, I, I, I don't, I've, I've seen a lot of basketball and this happens sometimes, but it usually doesn't happen with superstars. Once again, second half of the podcast, I'll get to more of that narrative thing. But the reason the Nuggets ended up winning this game is Jokic had a triple-double, and he was the steadying force, even though he had foul trouble. Um, he get his fourth foul some. He got his fourth foul sometime in the third quarter and had to sit out a good length of it, and then ended up coming in and playing the rest of the fourth. Um, but the Nuggets kind of uh, were able to weather that aspect of it, um, which was a sign of a great team. I mean, that happens a lot with 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 teams that are better than another team and the free throw disparity kind of makes up the gap between the two teams and the wolves to their credit were very aggressive. And I'm sure nuggets GM, Tim Connolly was like, you you know, you've got to be aggressive with this thing. And I'm sure Chris Finch and uh, Mike Norrie said the same thing on the wolves coaching staff, but Michael Porter jr. Is a baller. And one of the reasons the, the one of the things that has been setting this Nuggets team apart from even the one in the bubble in 2020 is Michael Porter Jr. is playing at a level that really has uh, what I would describe as confused the Minnesota Timberwolves. They seem to have not been prepared for Michael Porter Jr. showing out. Um, and I think, and I think that is the purpose of someone who is like him, who is an elite player and projected to be an elite player from the time he was drafted coming into a situation where he is ostensibly the third option. This is not necessarily true, by the way. Um, we have set it up that way, but that's not necessarily the way this works. Jokic is at the top. Everyone else is on the bottom or below him, not the bottom, but below him. The pecking order of the Denver Nuggets exists entirely with Nikola Jokic and then everyone else. But there are two players who are stars. 
And uh, I'm just talking about in pecking order. I'm not talking about in actual talent or anything like that. It's just the way the Nuggets are set up because everything runs for Jokic. Though the it's not breaking news to say that Michael Porter Jr. was supposed to be the X Factor, but he's not the X Factor. He is just the guy. I, I, I'm going to remove Jamal from the the equation here. He had a great game too, but picture this Nuggets team with Jokic and Porter, and a a fully functioning Porter. The one that we got in the 2021 playoffs had injured himself, and. By the time we get to uh, the Phoenix series that year, he was basically operating uh, on maybe 25%. And it showed. What you're seeing now is a fully healthy Michael Porter Jr. who's driving the lane. Uh, I was more impressed by his layups in this game. And it's not because of the aggression. It's just what he showed that he could do around the basket. We, you know, we forget that he's six foot ten. Michael Porter Jr. is six foot ten, and when people make Clay Thompson comparisons, I'm like, don't don't do this. Clay Thompson doesn't do what Michael Porter Jr. does because he is six foot six, six foot seven. Michael Porter Jr. is almost seven feet tall and can do some crazy shit. And I think that's what we forget, and that's what makes him unique. And him scoring twenty five points and basically just doing it with ease is exactly why Josh Kroenke. And then lower on, you know, just the the pride, the the mode, the the big mover and shaker of signing Michael Porter Jr. to that contract with Josh Kroenke, Josh Kroenke and Tim Connolly saying like this is exactly what you are capable of. So we got that Jamal didn't have a great game. Uh, they put uh, NAW back in uh, on uh, on uh, uh, Murray and he basically did what he did in the first game limited jamal um jamal ended up with i think what six eight sixteen eighteen points i'm not looking at the box store right now but that's right around what he got um but what jamal was able to do is do what jamal does is that make tough shots um and actually both he and mike make tough ch- shots they they both have the talent to do that sort of thing and that's what you need um but jamal jamal doing that is what kind of he, he is kind of like when i de- the way i describe jamal is that he is the thing that makes the that sustains the thing that's already in motion he is he is he is not the reason it's going to be elite that's jokic he has not the turbo boost of the engine that is michael porter jr Jamal is the thing that actually sustains the long-running uh, aspect of the the engine. He is he is the reason that they are able to stay stable. Um, and you notice the Nuggets missed that the last the previous two seasons because they would go through these big lulls, and those lulls would get really really bad. Through this regular season, with Jamal kind of getting back into the swing of things. He, you saw those lulls again, but as he gets healthier and the fact that the Nuggets were able to, I don't know, uh, rest enough because they got such a big lead um, is uh, in the in the West is that they they 
they were able to prioritize their health, as I've said over and over and over again. This is a fully healthy Nuggets team with bumps and bruises, you know, Jamal with his his various bumps and bruises and Nikola with his wrist. Um, and it was the calf heading into the playoffs. But both of them, it, this wasn't like this was continued sustained injuries. This was nursing those heading into the playoffs. They had enough time to basically rest a bunch of games. And the Nuggets kind of, you know, mentally checked out in those games. And I think that this allowed this Nuggets team to operate at its full potential in a way that is not, they're not exerting themselves. They were fortunate they got the matchup that they did. Uh, the play-in, they could have got the Lakers, which, you know, obviously, I think the, the Nuggets are better than the Lakers, but it's just, you know, you don't want to leave the, the Lakers and the officiating up to, up to that. Um and, uh, you know, obviously they would have done well against uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder as plucky and young as they are. They're not ready yet. So this Nuggets team is showing everyone something that everyone was kind of willfully, in my view, ignoring. And I'll address this in the second half, but you've seen the inability of, of the national, specifically on the East Coast pundits, to adjust their narrative to this, and they've chosen to ignore it. But this was a great win. Uh, going up 3-0 is freaking huge. The last time this happened was against Dallas in 2009. Uh, then Dallas got a, a game they barely won in uh, Game 4, and then the Nuggets came back and you know pulled away in the fourth quarter uh, in uh, the Game 5. The gentleman's sweep was what happened to the Nuggets last year. The it is invaluable for a team to get the home court advantage uh, throughout the playoffs in the Western Conference, like the Nuggets have, and have the luxury of going up three zero. and And the Nuggets shouldn't. And you've seen in this game they didn't relax, even though they're up two zero. And I expect the Nuggets come out blazing on Sunday uh, in order to finish this off, because having that extra ref rest with a grueling Suns. Uh, uh, Clipper series, which may go five games, but is going to take a toll on the Phoenix Suns. This is setting up really well, knocking on wood right now. Um, and uh, we shall see what's going to happen. But on the second half of this podcast, I'm going to talk about the national media, their kind of inability to pivot off of their previous narrative and uh, how maybe we should just concentrate on podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. But first, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blankenwazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the Dairy Block. They have a location in Fort Collins. They have a location in the Dairy Block, as we aforementioned, and they got a location in Sonoma County, California, where uh, their own branded wine is made. Um, they are always online at... Uh, bfwcolorado.com my favorite wine bar in denver i haven't actually had anything to drink uh for a while now and uh, what i do is i i i realized in my old age i got to save it for a special occasion uh, otherwise it just wrecks me so um when i have those special occasions i go to blanchard family wines it's a great buy, uh, especially the location of the dairy block is a great vibe. Uh, I am told the one in Fort Collins is similar. Um, it's, it's still a great vibe out there, great uh, presence. And I really uh, will highly encourage anyone to go in and stop in the dairy block if you're in Denver. If you're in Fort Collins, go up there uh, and, and try out their wines. Uh, they got great 
Pino. Pino is really good, um, and hopefully they've got it back in stock. Uh, but they got cabs, they got you know Malbecs, they got you know all the varietals of reds, um, and they also have all the whites and Rieslings from the Western Slope of Colorado, which is the grape of the Western Slope. Uh, my favorite, basically my favorite place to go in Denver, Colorado. Once again, I don't get paid to do this. I just I just read about them. And because I was so impressed that with that time that I went in there and I want to support these businesses. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. It's hard to adjust a narrative when you set it. The Nuggets contributed to this. The Nuggets 100% contributed to the way people nationally talk about them. And I'm not, I'm, I'm removing the insipid MVP debate stuff that ESPN just reveled in. Okay. And they're, they're a big part of this problem. And I'll get to that, but I'm going to remove that because this is more of a, of a Nuggets thing. And the Nuggets kind of lollygagged through once they got on March 3rd, once they got that big seven and a half game lead in the West, uh, and then Jaw got suspended for an indefinite period and uh, all this stuff. It just lined up perfectly for the Nuggets. But, you know, on the flip side of that, it caused them to, you know, maybe not take the certain games seriously. And I'm talking specifically this next stretch of games after they beat Toronto. Uh, at home in the Scott Foster game, they, the four game Eastern, you know, the, 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 it wasn't, it it wasn't the road trip because they started, they lost against the the Nets at home and you could tell they just mentally checked out and really basically as of that Toronto game. And then they went East and people's opinions, because the, most of the media is based in the East coast, um, their narratives of the nuggets were set right then. Even though if they had applied some critical thinking, they would say, well, the Nuggets are basically playing like a team that has the West sewed up, which they basically did. And I think we, the the media tends to get rigid. And what you saw in this series, even though if you listen to most of the coverage, the, 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 the media, specifically nationally, was picking the Nuggets to win this. But it was almost in a, you better win this kind of thing. It wasn't in a, it wasn't in a, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah they're going to win. It was that you better. And it was the setup because, because there was this narrative that hardened in stone in the last part of the regular season. And that narrative has been exceedingly hard for the Denver Nuggets to change. The, the, and it's because of that, basically of that. And the Nuggets played like they weren't interested for the last 23 games or so, but really it was the last 18. The 17, 18, this is the Nuggets just weren't interested. And it led to lackadaisical and uh, unfortunate play during a time when the national media was heating up with the Joel Embiid, uh, Nikola Jokic MVP thing. And that really hindered the Nuggets. What you've seen now is the, the media, specifically nationally, has struggled with adjusting. Extremely hard time 
adjusting to the new reality, which is the Nuggets are not only beating the Timberwolves, but are on the verge of sweeping them. And you saw the way that this was going to line up when uh, the first game was at 8.30 on a, uh, what was it, on Sunday. And uh, <laughs> it was so late because of the game before that it didn't start till almost 9 o'clock. No one on the East Coast saw that. Uh, then the next game started a little earlier, a little after 8. Tonight's game was a little earlier than that, 7.30-ish. Or right, because it, it was it was it didn't end up starting until like seven forty-five. They obviously didn't care, but they want if the Nuggets had lost, the narrative they would be talking about this a lot because as a number one seed, it was set up a certain way, TV wise. I'm not talking about the NBA. The NBA, as I said over and over again, doesn't care, and 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 largely ESPN doesn't because Denver's not a big market. Uh, but there is just the, the way the coverage goes, and I'm not talking about the way it's aired, but I'm talking about the way it's talked about is set up to where the Nuggets are going to be dismissed if it was positive for the Nuggets and piled upon if the Nuggets went badly. And, uh, they were the only series other than Boston and, uh, Boston and, um, Atlanta. They're the only ones that were set up like this. And, uh, oh, by the way, the Boston Celtics were beat by the Atlanta Hawks in the last game. And that series is now 2-1. There's only two 3-0 series, and that's Philadelphia and the Nets and the Nuggets and the Timberwolves. Um, the Nets and the, 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 Nets and the, the uh, Sixers one is, is getting a hell of a lot more coverage than, than the Nuggets are because it has the presumed MVP and the way the things had set up. Some different parts, and I'm not gloating here, but I'm saying some certain some some parts of reality have been altered for people, and it's going to take the national media a while to catch up. Like I said, the Nuggets are partially responsible for the way they are covered right now. But the, on the flip side of that, the, the, like a like any sort of giant monolith, the national media struggles with adjusting course. You saw it a little. They had J.J. Redick in with uh, with the coverage last night on ESPN. Uh, I think J.J. does a good job. Um, uh, J.J. tries. He does not always succeed, but he tries to be as fair as possible. And uh, I thought he did a good job. And the fact that they put J.J. in on this coverage, I think, said a lot. The Nuggets never get a Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson game. Uh, they, they just don't. Um, now, as far as the coverage goes, I have listened to several national podcasts. I will say, and, and give a hat tip to the ringer, um, Bill Simmons has repeatedly tried to give the Nuggets love. And he's also tried to give them criticism. He has, I think, I think in an, an unusual way for Bill, he has done it in not in a, um, he's done it in a way that you could tell he's watched the games. And this has filtered down to most of the rest of the ringer staff. They, they generally have been even handed and fair. There has been big criticisms. You may not agree with it, 
but there have been criticism, but there have also been, you know, equal amounts of praise. They have been by far the f most fair of the national media outlets towards the Denver Nuggets. And this is reflected in the fact that they're completely independent from the big media conglomerates other than, you know, HBO, you know, the tie-in with Spotify and stuff like that. But Bill Simmons isn't encumbered like he would be at ESPN if he was still at Grantland. There are things that, that are setting up well for the Nuggets and, and the way he treats them, even with their other podcasts that kind of had like uh, the, the, the NBA group chat, uh, which is one of the podcasts on the uh, Ringer network, which tends to be a little more negative, but they kind of balance it out. Um, between people who never watch the Nuggets with people who watch probably too much of the Nuggets, and it really kind of goes together. I want to give them a shout out because they they are generally fair to every single team, um, and uh, that has been invaluable. If you want to listen to something, listen to the podcasts on the Ringer and how they talk about it. Um, ESPN is a different kettle of fish. Um, they don't know how to adjust to the Nuggets not being uh, either A, a shit show, or B, struggling against the Minnesota Timberwolves like maybe they were thinking they would. Uh, and there have been other outlets that have been similar, but uh, there was a ridiculous lockdown NBA where the, are the Nuggets doomed after they had one bad quarter. One. They've had in the entire series, there have been 12 quarters the Nuggets have basically dominated in 11 of them and not in one. They had one awful quarter, <laughs> and somehow this sets the narrative for various people at Locked On. Um, it is what it is, you know. The point I'm making is it, it, it's hard for national media people, specifically ESPN, to adjust the way they approach coverage of the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets did it to themselves a little bit, but some of this is just the fact that, that the, if the ESPN had their drawers, it would be the Suns, Clippers, Lakers, Warriors, any of those, and then the Nuggets, okay, and then the Kings below the Nuggets. But it would be that it would be that is their preference between you know Boston. Uh, and uh, Philadelphia, and then Milwaukee below that, and then you know maybe even Milwaukee would be tied with Miami. There is there is very clear bias to this. One thing before I leave, it is a absolute disgrace that the Athletic is using a guy who is full time for some reason. Utah has a full time Athletic uh, uh, beat writer. And the Nuggets have had not, not had one for two and a half years since Kendra Andrews left. And uh, this, this is one of the biggest disgraces. Uh, I, my friend Nick Cosmiter has done a great job covering the Denver Nuggets in the times that he has done it. The fact that they didn't just say, Nick, just go do it. It, it's just a disgrace. They got Tony Jones, who's, who covered the uh, the uh, Utah Jazz out here, with no disrespect to Tony, and it shows you the just the absolute disrespect from the Athletic, who is now owned by the New York Times. Um, there's no excuse for this. There's no excuse for there not being a Denver uh, Athletic beat writer for the Nuggets. I I don't know why there is not one. I've not I've I have asked and asked and asked and asked about this. I could not got a consistent explanation. 
my preference, if you're if you're if you're not going to give a beat writer any time out here for the to cover the basketball, give it to give it to Nick Cosmiter, who does a great job. Nick is one of the best, and I just I just don't get it. I don't get it. The disrespect is amazing. No no dis and no disrespect on my part for to Tony Jones, who does a great job. Uh, follow him. Uh, he's actually done a good job covering this, but the fact that they don't have a Nuggets beat writer is a disgrace. And, and you know what, this team, this is the number one seed in the West, and not having that sort of thing around has been absolutely uh, unforgivable. Anyway, thank you all for joining me on the latest Morecast. Uh, I'll be back after Game 4 with another episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.